Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. What's up, guys? We have another awesome podcast for you today. I'm here with Hannah and Caesar, and we're going to be talking about urology as part of our fourth year specialty podcast series. This one is really near and dear to my heart because we, uh, us three previous, I guess now, uh, Loyola Medical students, uh, we, we've just recently graduated, but uh, we went through the match process for urology and was just super excited to, to talk to them and to try and pick their brains about tips and tricks along the way and why they matched into the field and you know what got them really excited about urology. So thank you all for coming. And I guess, Caesar, you can start. You know, Who are you? And take us through your journey in medicine thus far. Uh, sure. So thank you for having me again. Um, so my name is Cesar Delgado. Uh, as I pointed out, fourth year, or just recently graduated fourth year medical student. And sort of in regards to how I got into medicine and interested in medicine in general, I guess to kind of give you my med school spiel. You know, I grew up from uh, a family of immigrants. So I'm actually uh, from Mexico. I'm a DACA recipient. Um, and one of the things that I always saw sort of growing up was this uh, fear of just going to the doctor and then not really seeing a lot of people that sort of look like me, understood my culture, understood my language. Um, and so, you know, various family members ended up having sort of, uh, you know, different medical conditions. And, you know, we sort of saw the difficulty behind that. And so that really kind of inspired me uh, to go into medicine. Uh, had an unorthodox, you know, path to it, you know, ended up working as a bartender downtown, a little late to the late to the medical school game. But, um, you know, it's I think they've all been uh, situations um, that have helped me grow. So awesome. How about you, Hannah? So, yeah. Hey, I'm Hannah Slovacek. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, pretty much I knew I wanted to become a doctor at an early age. Um, about 11 or 12, I had some personal medical um, experiences. I was like, hospitalized and things like that. So I pretty much always knew going into high school and college. Um, so I was pre-med, I went to Georgetown and then um, interest, I played softball at Georgetown. So I was really busy, um, couldn't quite get you know everything together um, in time. And also I didn't even really know at that point if I wanted to do PA or med school. So when I graduated, I moved back to Austin and I worked as a medical assistant at a fertility clinic and realized through that experience that PA school was not for me. I wanted to be the doctor. So then I started working on some of my like prereqs that I still needed to get done and take the MCAT and things like that. So I worked there for a year and a half and then I just decided to enroll in a post-bac program. So I moved to Dallas to do that through UT Dallas. Um, so I did that for a year. And then while I was there, I worked as a medical scribe at a skilled nursing facility. Um, so that kind of gave me the more underserved um, you know, aspect of my experiences. Um, so I ended up taking three years in between uh, med school and undergrad. So, and then ended up at Loyola and I've loved every second of it. Awesome, man. You guys are just so, I, I, I love hearing all your stories because I just feel like you're so like well-rounded and um, it's just so interesting to see like where you both came from. Um, and it it's interesting because I, I would say like not the classic, you know, just going right from undergrad to, to medical school or whatever. I think there's a lot of like time that you both took to to really kind of 
figure out what you wanted to do, know what you wanted to do, kind of get life stuff in order. Um, and clearly, you know, that totally made you guys amazing medical students and will make you amazing doctors as well. So really great to hear from you guys in, in that regard. So now let's talk a little bit more about uh, urology itself. So uh, Caesar, we can start with you again. Take us through your decision to go into urology. What drew you to pursue this field? Um, so to be honest with you, you know, kind of, uh, I've always told people, I, I kind of fell into this specialty. Uh, it wasn't something that I was looking at, uh, early on or was even exposed to. I knew I wanted to do surgery. I had tried to pull myself into digging. I wanted to do some sort of primary care, uh, specialty, but, uh, I realized that I really like being in the operating room, you know, kind of have the philosophy, you know, an opportunity to cut is an opportunity to heal. And so I knew I wanted to do something surgical. Um, so, you know, Leola gives us a month and third year to sort of take electives. And I had taken a neurosurgery elective. And like a month before that, I was uh, with one of my friends, uh, Christopher Seferin. And he told me, hey, you know what? If you're interested in something surgical, you know, urology offers a two-week elective. It's super cool. Give it a try. So, you know, I decided to apply for it. Really no expectations for it. And so, yeah, you know, my first exposure uh, was on, their, on Loyola's oncology service. Um, and it was great just because I kind of saw the breadth of what urology does uh, and sort of the interactions with patients that they have. And it's something that, that I really enjoyed. So, you know, you're able to have long-term relationships with patients while still being in a surgical specialty. Um, so, you know, seeing some of Dr. Quek's patients that he had been seeing for years now and years and that he had done these big, gigantic operations on. While at the same time, you know, you have small acute interventions when you deal with something like stones and, you know, you might see somebody in the, in, in the emergency department, you have to take them to the OR the next morning, get their stone out. And you might see them one more time on follow-up if they leave a stent or something and that might be it. And that's okay. I think it just, it at least provides me the opportunity to interact with uh, people on a different basis. And it's always challenging. It's super technical. Uh, if you're like, if, you know, it attracted me that it, that it was very technology heavy, robotic, uh, lasers, you know, scoping, all of that is just completely up my alley. Uh, so it's a good mixture of, you know, kind of my interests and at the same time, my interest for how I want to, I guess, build or see myself practicing in the future. Very cool. Hannah, how about you? Yeah, so similarly, I also kind of fell into this. Um, I knew I wanted to go into something surgical entering medical school, I initially thought, you know, I played sports, so that should be ortho. But then I realized that wasn't necessarily for me. Um, I wanted a little bit more of a sicker patient and wanted a little bit more impact on their actual, um, instead of just their quality of life, like more of an impact in their actual life. So um, I was kind of going through all my rotations, liking some things and not liking most things. And I talked to my friend actually early, early third year and my other med school friend from a different school who was a year above me. And I was just explaining everything I wanted. I wanted something that was um, both surgical, but had some clinic. It had short procedures, long procedures, inpatient stays, outpatient stays, um, you know, in-office procedures. Literally, I am somebody who gets bored very easily. So I wanted a little bit of everything. And also a lifestyle, honestly, was important to me. I, I know I'm somebody who wants to have a family. And as, as a female, that's something I also thought about. Um, so she was like, well, you should, I'm going into urology. You should, you should look into that. And similarly to Caesar, I um, had a, you know, a month of elective time in third year. So I just signed up for the elective and 
literally at the end of my first day, I was like, yep, this is exactly what I want to do because I realized also the people in the field are so nice, so caring, just um, not to hate on any other field, but I think these people are the best. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't not go into urology after, you know, literally day one, but I was like, I'm going to give myself a week. And, you know, I felt the same after my first week. So um, yeah. And so what's funny though, is that same girl who gave me, who gave, you know, tipped me off to urology is now I'm at her same program and she's a year above me. And so we're going to be co-residents. No way. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> That's, that's so cool. Um, you know, Hannah, I'd actually really like to unpack the, the whole, like, essentially first day it, it convinced you that this is the field that you wanted to go into. And, um, you know, can you, can you walk us through kind of what that day was like, or what you realized, like, wow, this is, this is totally for me. Like, who did you work with any patients that you saw? Were you in the OR at that point? Or were you just like kind of talking about it and, you know, your friend maybe talking, talking it up to you and then you get to the day and then you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is, this is totally it. So, so what, what kind of went through your mind that first day? So it's funny because I walked into the OR, I met up with Spencer, who was the chief at that time. And we went into Mc, Dr. McVary's OR, who he is amazing. Um, and he was so nice and so welcoming. And so was Spencer. So, you know, first off the bat, I was like, wow, these people are really nice. And then we walked into the OR and our first case was a penile implant, a penile prosthesis. And I, you know, like very classic urology, but not something I had ever seen before. And I was like, honestly, it was like, wow, this is crazy, but also so cool. I love this. And Dr. McVary's energy and everything. And after that case, literally that first case, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then we just did, you know, cystoscopies and more bread and butter cases after that. And I was mm -hmm. still interested in those more quote, you know, boring things within urology. And so that was like literally my very first experience. And I was just hooked after that. Perfect. Kind of like that big case and the bread and butter that you were like, oh, I kind of like this too. Like, that's awesome. Every, everything. And all the, of course, all the people, um, you know, those are two great physicians as well. So that's, uh, that's amazing. So this next question, it's kind of funny. Uh, so what are the things that you, you guys dislike about this field? That is a very tough question. I also got this in an interview and also wasn't quite sure how to answer it because we are designed to be positive, but um, <laughs> I think, you know, this is what I said, and I still kind of agree, though, with this, is that it, while I love the breadth of the field, it is so vast, it really intimidates me a lot. You know, I'm sure that I'll, I'll get a better handle on that throughout residency, but I mean, you can just be so, so specialized into kidney stones, you know, and that is one of the millions of things that we can do. So I think, you know, if you're a generalist, that's a little, that's a little intimidating, um, at least for me going in, but. I think, you know, that's, that is a difficult question uh, just because, you know, I agree. It's extremely diverse and that's kind of the interesting part about it. Honestly, I think the worst thing about urology is probably just the misconceptions people have about it, um, you know, because so little was known. It's just, you're just seen as, you know, the penis doctor and that, that's all you do, completely ignoring, you know, the fact that you could go into urogynecology, the fact that you also deal with female patients that you do stunts. Um, but at the same time, it makes for funny jokes, you know, when people call you the penis doctor, they think that that's all you do. Um, but I think it's just that it's just the misconceptions that were sort of like the Foley team is probably the only negative thing I see about that. 
Gotcha. So what are some of the stereotypes? I guess, Caesar, you kind of touched on this. So some of the stereotypes and assumptions about your specialty, and is there truth to any of them? So I think we kind of talked about just, you know, the labels that they put on, you know, urologists sometimes, but um, any other like stereotypes or just general uh, perceptions about the field that um, you guys noted either before, during, or after applying? Well, I initially thought they just dealt with urine um, and that's about it. And then also uh, the obvious penis, uh, you know, subject matter. But I realized, and I, and I honestly thought urine was kind of gross <laughs> before I learned what it was. I mean, you know, when dealt with it more. Um, so, you know, and also being a female and people are like, oh, going into urology, like, you know, all the jokes about that, like similar to what Caesar was saying. But then I have to say, oh, well, no, it's not, you know, it's not just that. It's actually kidneys and ureters and bladders and prostates and, um, yeah, female patients, too. And then they, you know, they're like, oh, okay, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know that. Um, I think just a little education is good. Um, and also, anytime I say urology, people think I say neurology. So they're like, oh, the nervous system. And I'm like, well, a little bit. No, not that's kind, not kind really of, a little, like, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that, yeah, to speak to that aspect of it. Um, but as far as it's interesting, though, the stereotype, I would say, of a urologist to a medical person, you know, who knows what urology is, like to the other doctors, the other sub or the other specialties in the hospital is um, they always say, wow, they're always smiling. Somebody turned to me the other day and said, wow, you, you need to get a sense of humor <laughs> to be in that field. And I was like, hey, what are you saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> But they, I think they, they generally are perceived to be very happy, um, very satisfied. I do think they are perceived to be well compensated. Um, I guess we'll see about that. But um, yeah, I think just the general um, demeanor is positive. Great. Anything else, Caesar, that, that you kind of noticed or heard of? I think it's just, you know, it, it's weird, right? Because, you know, the gender urinary system, if you look at it from, you know, just big picture, is like a very small part. It seems like a very small part of the human body. And so people don't really, I guess, realize the amount of pathology and just things wrong that can go wrong with it. You know, anything again from like stones to erectile dysfunction. And and I think that's part of it too. It's just the, uh, I don't think people again realize just how the breadth of like what it is that we treat and more importantly, how like that impacts patient, uh, you know, just satisfaction in their, in their life, you know, what they, what they end up doing. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. Um, and, you know, Caesar, you kind of touched on this a little bit beforehand, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about your kind of the, the dichotomy you were kind of facing, you know, the neurosurgery versus urology, you know, wanted to go into subspecialty. Hannah, you too going, you know, considering ortho at first and then, um, you know, deciding kind of urology uh, a little bit later. Why did you like, I guess, those two fields um, originally, or what attracted you to those two fields? And then what kind of brought you over the hump for, for urology to, to really pursue that as your career? Um, so, yeah. So again, yeah, I kind of, I knew I wanted to do something surgical. Um, and so, so right. I knew you wanted to go into something self-specialty. And so I did, I started with neurosurgery just thinking, well, you know what, let me, you know, let me see what, what, what the scope of practice is. And, you know, you, you're seeing everything from, you know, glioblastomas and geomas to, you know, working closely with, uh, you know, the neurology part of medicine 
um, in treating epilepsy, you know, putting sensors in the brain, seeing craniotomies, you know, to even just doing carpal tunnel releases. And so it was really cool, but I think the what the thing, the thing that I think changed my mind was actually uh, one specific case that I did uh, with Dr. Anderson, great neurosurgeon. But um, we, we, you know, seeing this woman who'd been extremely active, you know, hiking and everything, fairly young. And, you know, by imaging that, that she had received, it, it, it looked like a meningioma. You know, we go into the case, he goes into, uh, you know, to remove this. And he's like, I don't, this doesn't look like a meningioma. It ended up being a glioblastoma. Um, and so, you know, that vastly changes the, you know, prognosis of this woman where a meningioma, she could directly still have a fairly long and normal life. And there might be a recurrence, but that'd be fine. To she went to having probably another year and a half. Um, and so that was a big, you know, thing for me that, you know, just sort of the, the outcomes of uh, neurosurgery, I didn't agree with my own, I guess, personality, how I wanted to practice. And then the other part is a big part of neurosurgery too, is spinal cases, fusions. And those were, that was sort of the bread and butter that I saw. And it just was too boring for me. I just, I, I didn't find it interesting. And then conversely, again, with neurology, you have, you, I mean, Yes, if you deal with oncology, you can still have iffy outcomes, but there's an entire other aspect to the practice where you have great outcomes with people. You know, you give people back their sex life. You give, give people the ability to urinate again, which is huge. You know, you take for granted um, what what that means. And so between the outcomes, between like what, what Hannah said, you know, sort of the the level of intensity between the two specialties too is pretty different. Uh, again, you're all just a little bit more laid back, a lot more friendlier. It just spoke to me a lot more than uh, neurosurgery. I still have a great respect for what they do, but it just didn't agree with sort of my goals and personality. For sure. Hannah, how about you? Yeah, so I, like I said, I wanted to, you know, initially I was just thinking orthopedic surgery because I was a sports person, um, but, you know, I, and I had shadowed it and I thought it was cool, but I think what I realized I thought was cool was just being in the OR. Um, and the more I learned about different specialties, um, the more I realized, like, I'm also somebody who needs variety and doing a knee replacement, you know, every single day just wasn't for me. I know that is for, you know, many people, but just not personally for me. Um, and then, you know, my next thought was OB because I, I worked at the reproductive endocrinology, you know, the fertility clinic. Um, I was thinking, you know, I actually really liked that. I really enjoyed that. So my next, you know, I took then a turn to OB and I, I did enjoy my rotation. I liked guy a lot more than I liked, um, like labor and delivery. Um, and that is four years of OB and then matching into a very extremely competitive, um, fellowship for then another three years. So that's seven years. And then I thought about doing actual OB for four years and no, I was like, I, I can't do that. <laughs> so, you know, I was pretty much at a loss. That was kind of my current plan slash backup plan without any, any first option. And so I really didn't figure out about, you know, until I did the elective in urology and that was um, January or actually February of my third year. So up until that point, it was going to be OB and I was going to maybe do gynonc or reproductive endocrinology fellowship. Um, but thankfully I found this field. Yeah, great, great. Um, you know, so I guess that's a perfect transition now to talk a little bit more about matching essentially into the field. And Hannah, we've kind of touched a little bit on your timeline of what your third year and fourth year look like. But um, let's take a quick step back and just kind of overall, Hannah, what do you think made yourself a competitive applicant for matching into Euro? 
I mean, I'll be honest. Um, I did well on step one. So I think that helped me, you know, just off the page, I will say instantly. Um, but I think what's unique about me is my clinical experience and how I had those three years in um, between undergrad and medical school. So I entered third year, I will say like that definitely is my strongest aspect, like is my, just my clinical skills. And that was reflected in all of my, you know, like evals and things like that. So like my, my grades, you know, were good. Um, but I think, and then, so therefore my letters are really good, which in urology is something that's, you know, if not most important, one of the very top few things that, you know, of importance. So yeah, I would say step score and then also uh, my clinical skills, which, you know, relate to uh, my letters. Great. Cesar, how about you? Um, I think similar, similarly to Hannah, I mean, uh, it, back, well, this might be different now going forward, but, you know, we had step one as a scored exam. And so the reality is that can close or open a lot of doors for you, unfortunately. Um, and I did well on it. So that door was still open for me, but it's like everybody says, you know, uh, a good step one score just kind of gets you looked at, at least it doesn't completely eliminate you. Um, I think one of the things that helped me is, um, again, I do have a pretty unorthodox background, having you know worked in the field completely unrelated to medicine. But then at the same time, showing that I had that I was a well-rounded individual, that I had that I did things in medical school that weren't just specifically geared necessarily to my specialty. You know, I taught medical Spanish. I did do um, some trips with ministry. Uh, you know, uh, Ignatian sort of submersion trip to the border. Um, and just showing that I had other interests um, outside and at the same time related to medicine and how, you know, I kind of intertwined them to make me uh, a better individual for it, being able to speak Spanish, being able to relate to people from different backgrounds, cultures. Um, and then, of course, you know, the biggest thing is you have to do well on your, you know, your sub I, whether, you know, again, hopefully everybody gets to go back to sort of this normal structure of being able to do it at the other institutions, but it was extremely critical to do well on our one, you know, at Loyola. Um, and just showing commitment um, every single morning, you know, knowing what case I'm going into, knowing the background of the patient, knowing the little sort of minutia um, that can help the day kind of go by easier, um, all helped to make my letters that much stronger. Our chair at Loyola, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, made a mention that uh, the residents really enjoyed working with me. And so again, sort of personality, I think both of you guys also kind of exude that very workable personality, extremely friendly, you guys are complete go-getters. And I think that's a big thing that kind of, uh, you need to show that in some way, shape or form on an application, so. Yeah, Cesar, I, I almost want to echo kind of the the extra stuff that you do, you know, and I think the like like you said, like the medical Spanish stuff, which I appreciate. I did take your class uh, as an elective of my first year, so it, it definitely improved. I thank you for that. But, you know, like just like the extra stuff that you do, I think that was those were the things that were asked most in the interview. You know, we saw your board scores. We saw, you know. Like even we saw your letters, like those are great. Like, oh, like, what do you do for fun? Like, who are you? Like, what are you passionate about? Those types of things. And I think that's really something that kind of is overlooked because we just get so focused on studying and like, you know, trying to get AOA, trying to like honor every course or whatever. But, you know, just actually being like a normal person, I think really goes a long way, especially in urology. So that's really good advice. So how, how did you guys structure your fourth year? And I know this is kind of different for us because our cycle was kind of COVID related um, or impacted by COVID. So 
you know, how, how, I guess, would you have structured your fourth year if, if you were able to do away rotations and, you know, what, what did that kind of look like for you? Um, Hannah, you can, you can start. Yeah. So let's pretend we're pre COVID. My plan was, so since I had, I just done the urology elective at Loyola in my, basically the end of my third year, I talked to Dr. Baldea and she, you know, I'm, I'm from Texas. So I was, that was my goal was to come back to Texas. I love the program at Loyola. I can't speak highly enough about it, but that I just didn't want to stay in Chicago. So she recommended to me, let's just leave that as your, you know, your sub I here. And then you can then explore with two to three away rotations. And that way I can show my interest to Texas. So my initial plan was to do, um, I actually was going to do an away rotation, um, at, Georgetown and then I'll figure out my, my second one, but because I, that was my undergrad, but um, do definitely do one in Texas. I didn't want to pigeon my pigeonhole myself and do both in Texas. Um, so I wanted to kind of spread that out, but definitely show my interest to the region that I was trying to go back to. So that was going to be my plan. I was probably going to do two away rotations, probably in, it was going to be in um, July and August. And then I was still deciding if I wanted to do one at Loyola, it would have been in September. Um, that was going to be more of a game time decision. Uh, and then as far as, you know, after away rotations, our interviews were, I was always planning to take off time um, a month to interview and travel and I'll do all those things. Um, urology is nice because all of our interviews come out on one day. So we learn our entire schedule. So yeah, so we can, we sort of could curate it as much as possible, but anyways, yeah. So I was going to take off uh, a month for interviews and then kind of, um, that was really the important things for me. So that was just kind of my fall semester that was mapped out. Cool. Caesar, was your plan kind of similar or different at all? Yeah. So, I mean, I think just for the, the sake of posterity, I'll say what I planned and I guess what ended up happening. Um, so what I planned to do, um, I only took the two week elective at Loyola. So Dr. Beltea, great advisor at Loyola, uh, suggested if you're only doing two weeks and you're interested in the field, we do, I do recommend you come back and do the full month. One, it'll give you the opportunity to get to know the rest of the department, get letters from us. But also if you do it as your first sub I, you can kind of get those kinks um, and those, you know, little details ironed out before you go and audition um, at a different institution. You know, uh, just kind of saying that Loyola would be a little bit more forgiving being a home student. Um, and so my original plan was um, July was going to be myself at Loyola. August, I was going to do it uh, in a way um, I'd apply it uh, to Rush. And then I think September I was to do EM and then I was going to do another one in October. Um, I was limited to the to Chicago, so it was either going to be Northwestern or U Chicago. And the reason for that is, you know, I have a family. Uh, I had a, you know, I have a four year old now, three year old at the time. So being away out west or out east for an entire month just wasn't something that I could swing. Um, but then I would have, I would have applied, you know, applied, and then during the interview season, I planned to take two weeks off, um, just you know, dedicated time off, you know, to call it my step two. Uh, slash interview uh, study time. Obviously, kind of COVID changed all of that. Uh, luckily, we still got to do our sub-I in July. So I still did that. We were limited to one. So I, those were where my letters were from. And then I still took my time off during the interview season completely, um, both for step two and for interviewing. Um, I can't stress how important that is if you can swing that, just because whether you're doing virtual interviews this year or back to the normal interview schedule, I did, there was no way that I could have applied this cycle and had, um, 
you know, another clerkship going on, I would have gone over the, the allotted days off to take my interviews. Gotcha. And, you know, this, the, you just kind of reminded me, Caesar, and, and you two have, you're, you're both in different locations right now. So Caesar, you're at, um, yeah, you're in California now, or will be going to California for your incoming PGY one year. And then Hannah, you're going to be in Texas. Um, so Hannah, you kind of had that draw, obviously, um, kind of hometown, you know, Austin area. So you kind of had that, I guess, association with it. But um, how did you guys demonstrate, I guess, did you, did you guys do anything special to really demonstrate, hey, I want to go to this area of the country or this location or this program? Did, did you do anything special in that regard? Yeah. Um, so since we couldn't do the away down here, I was actually going to do one at the program where I ended up matching, but um, couldn't do that. And they didn't have any virtual sub-I options. So to show my interest, I did what they, Baylor actually in Houston had a two-week um, virtual elective. So I did that. And then, you know, I got a letter from that too. Um, and then I think what really was important for me ended up, you know, since I ended up matching here was to reach out to the program director. And I just cold emailed both Baylor and um, UT Houston. And I, cause I really wanted to target that area. And I expressed why I'm interested in their program. I lined it all out. Oh, I love this hospital. You know, I love this culture or, you know, whatever I, I actually did like about it. Um, and I asked how, and then I said, and here's why I would be a great fit for you. And, you know, gave a quick blurb on, you know, myself and why I thought I'd be a good fit with them. And then I asked, how can I get involved in your program? So I asked if there's any research opportunities that I could help with. Um, are there any conferences? Because at that point they're all on Zoom. So I could theoretically attend. Um, are there any conferences that I can attend? And I did that for both Baylor and UT Houston. And I've actually had papers now published with both. And actually going to the AUA South section conference or the poster that I was working on, you know, through UT Houston, which is, uh, you know, side note is, is, is pretty cool. And, and I really primarily did it just to show my interest, but it really, you know, paid off in many other ways. You know, not only did I match there, but also, you know, other dividends. So that is what I did, you know, since we couldn't actually be there in person. Um, but I still would recommend doing that. You know, if you're somebody like if you want to match to California and you're, you know, you're at Loyola and, you know, you can, you can express your interest in it. The worst thing that they will say is, is nothing. They just won't reply. So it's always, I think that's, you know, one of the best things they did. Nice. Yeah. So when did you actually get involved with kind of the research, like targeting this, like as a, you know, as a third year student coming in, you know, going into their fourth year, being interested in neurology, like when should they be like thinking about really kind of like reaching out and doing all this? Cause I know we did the study for step two, or they might be, you know, going through studying for their, their sub-I or, or whatever. So when, when is the best time to kind of do that? I guess, when, when were you able to find the time to do all that? So um, I did it kind of at the end of third year. I, so, you know, our schedule is very weird because we had, I think, three months off or two or three months off because of COVID. We were still, you know, technically on rotations, but we had we weren't going into the hospital. So we had some, some hours to give. So I used that time to kind of, so I basically reached out and I would say probably March or April. Um, and then I worked with them for the next like three to four months. I, you know, I'm still working with them, but, um, I reached out, I would say at the end of third year, because then they're going into fourth year. They're still they're you know, I'm still fresh in their minds when they decide who they want to interview and when they see my application and all that stuff. So end of third year is when I reached out 
And then just in general, when I started to get involved in urology research, because I obviously wasn't involved before I knew about urology, you know, in February was right then. So I just asked the department, Hey, are there any projects I can get on? Like, I'd love to get involved. And um, I'd been involved in ortho research previously, but um, yeah, so specifically for the email was late third year. Very cool. Caesar, how about, how about you? Um, so one of the biggest things for me uh, in neurology is that I want to <clears throat> be able to work with like underserved communities, especially like the Hispanic community. So luckily at San Diego, uh, there's a physician, Dr. Santiago Lastra. And so she's huge into, you know, sort of outcomes research and working with minority populations, uh, both within San Diego and just sort of nationally. So to be honest, uh, there was a huge, just, I just had a couple of conversations with her regarding the program, regarding, you know, what those opportunities will look like for me in San Diego. And that, and that's kind of one of the big reasons why I did end up sort of taking an interview from them, just because, you know, it's a 2000 mile uh, displacement that is going to happen in the next week or so. Um, and so, yeah, she has great opportunities, both to, for one, like, for example, mentoring you underclassmen uh, to go into your the field of urology, they're in underrepresented fields. Uh, the other thing is her clinic. There's also an opportunity to go into Tijuana if you want to work with some of the urologists there um, and treat uh, sort of the Mexican population. So that's something that, again, kind of spoke to my goals and kind of what I wanted to do. And so she was able to kind of elucidate a lot of that. And I think by me asking those questions, she knew that, that, that I would likely be a good fit for the program. Yeah, really cool. I think that again highlights kind of what you're truly interested in. If you you know expressing that, yeah, I think you can make those uh, really strong connections, especially on your interviews and, and those kind of things. And kind of leading into that, what what were in interviews like for you guys? Um, you know, it was the virtual process, and you know, for me, I, I was a little skeptical. Uh, probably everyone was just coming into it. Like, what would how would this be any different? Um, was it just going to be, you know, 10 minute sessions, you know, rapid fire, kind of like MMI style, which some of them were, but I think I was pleasantly surprised by, by a lot of them as well. So I'm just curious, what were interview like interviews like for you guys and any like tips or tricks or advice you'd give to prospective urology applicants um, going through the process of virtual interviewing or interviewing in general? Yeah, definitely haven't answered all the typical questions, like kind of what we've been talking about so far. How did you get interested in medicine? Why do you want to be a doctor? Um, why urology? They will, every person will ask you those things. Obviously know your CV frontwards and backwards, know all of your research. I had, since it was virtual, I, I literally had a Word document up on my screen. And if it was, you know, if it were, a I had a little blurb about each research project. And if it were something I was less familiar with, I could pull that up, you know, very stealthily and read it <laughs> quickly or, um, you know, read it as I'm talking, um, you know, more, you know, in a natural way, but yeah. So know, know everything about yourself, which sounds, you know, obviously I know, but they can literally ask you anything. I got asked a lot about my hobbies. I have, I do model building. So I think literally, I'm not kidding. Everybody asked me about that. <laughs> like, and, um, I played softball. So that was another big um, thing. They asked me about college sports a lot. So any kind of big experience, I think that makes you stand out. I think they'll ask about, and then just be, even though you're, you know, if, if, if people are virtual this year, like it's all about that body language, it's nodding with them. Um, you can still pick up on things. Like if an interviewer starts sitting back, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I need to stop. I need to wrap this up. <laughs> or, you know, if they lean forward, I, I can tell, oh, they're really interested in what I'm saying. Um, let me flush that out a little bit more. So look at them. Don't just talk and look at the wall. You know, you can pick up on things. 
and sort of adjust yourself as you're speaking. So those are all the things I would say. And just be normal. You know, they're looking for people they want to work with. You just realize they chose you for the interview because they think that everything on, you know, on paper about you is what they want. So be confident in yourself. Like they want you there and you need to, you know, realize that too. Yeah, I can't emphasize the the body yeah. language enough. You know, I feel like that is something that I, I think you're always like instructed about that, you know, in like prep courses or, or whatever people like giving you advice. And I think in the virtual interview process, like, man, like I could totally like I was picking up on that, like, because that's the only thing you can see, right? It's just like where the interviews like their face or their, their, their body positioning. So um, I thought that was like really, uh, you know, after the first one, I was like, okay, wow, I really need to make sure I'm like up straight. Like, cause I'm, I'm noticing people are just like either hunched over, like over the, you know, whatever the printout is of like our applications or, you know, whatever, just kind of like reading it off. I'm like, okay, I, I definitely need to make sure that I'm kind of, it's almost like giving, giving them a show, you know, <laughs> like, like, okay, this person is like very, um, you know, professional, but they're, they're engaged and, and all that. So I think that's a, that's a really good, um, really good point to bring up. So Caesar, how about you? Yeah, I think I pull a lot of what, what Hannah said. I mean, it, it is right. You hear the, the thing, you know, you hear the advice, you know, yourself really well. Um, and the thing about it is you can get, you can get asked any question about yourself, but the, the key thing is know how to give a succinct, um, a succinct response and an eloquent response. Uh, you know, you again, Alec, you talked about having 10 minutes. So if they ask you a question and you weren't expecting it, but it maybe it's something you, you're really interested in, but if you don't have that sort of well thought out response, it doesn't look well, even if, it, if it's your hobby that you've been doing for the last 20 years. Um, so that's, that's my biggest thing is, you know, just have an eloquent, succinct response. Um, and the other thing is you kind of have to have stories and what I mean by that is, you you know, some programs will ask you uh, very behavioral questions, you know, give me an example of leadership and blah, blah, blah. And so I think my key advice for anybody, and this I think holds true, whether you do virtual or in person, is just have like these anecdotal stories about yourself that you can mold and manipulate on the fly to sort of answer any one of these behavioral questions, whether it's showing that you're a great team player, showing that you can be a great leader showing that you're teachable, you know, just have a couple of stories in your back pocket that, you know, you, you, you can, you can rely on pretty quickly off the cuff, have jokes. Uh, you know, I had an interviewer ask me, ask me, tell me, I walked into the, or, you know, into the zoom room, tell me a joke, didn't introduce himself to me. I didn't introduce myself to him, start off with a joke. So, I mean, the interviews are varied. They're, they're, they can be extremely laid back to very intense. So don't go in expecting anything. Um, just sort of ride the storm as it comes your way. Um, and, you know, if, if, if virtual interviews are happening this year, use that to your advantage. Alec, you and I had a long conversation about this. You know, you're in your element or in your own office. You know, structure it, build it to however you want to do it. And, you know, do whatever makes you feel comfortable. If you want to have a piece of paper, you know, post-it notes or something with things to remind you of the things you want to touch on or, you know, research on the program that you did, that's fine if that makes you feel comfortable. You know, I did that and I'd be lying to you if I told you that I looked at it, but it made me feel less tense and less nervous going into that interview. Um, so if it does anything but that, then I think that's a win. So that's kind of my general advice. 
Awesome. Yeah. I think also like great, great points that you made there being, being comfortable in the virtual interview setting. Uh, you know, I remember wearing, you know, full suit, you know, every, you know, sitting there for six hours at a time potentially. And, you know, I had my shoes on, whatever. And I was like, after the first one, I was like, okay, I need to kind of tone it down a little bit. So, you know, putting on like the, the fuzzy slippers and, you know, hopefully they don't, they don't, check my, check my feet or something like that, <laughs> but you know, making yourself comfortable and giving, giving those hints, I guess, of, you know, what kind of like you, what you said, Hannah, of like, you know, some things that the research stuff or you know, just to have that, that, that safe line or the, you know, that you can, that you can just refer to if you really get nervous or anything. But um, I think you, you both would agree that over time, like after your last interview, you kind of are just like, I, I literally have talked about everything about me and everything was just so much better uh, kind of like going through it after your first couple. So, you know, there's only so many, so many questions that they could ask other than some of those kind of random questions that always are popping up, but that keeps it fun and exciting. Right. <laughs> so yeah, and um, I would say something that I thought was awesome that I did. Somebody told, I think my mom honestly told me to do this, but um, after you get out of the interview, you know, you end the day, I would go and write down my actual thoughts on how I felt because, you know, you really do get an impression from these programs, even, even virtually like, Oh, I feel really like happy or I feel, um, you know, I felt a little bit of a weird vibe or the, the residency really had any thoughts that I had. And um, I actually, when I was ranking programs, I went back and looked at, I, I had, a, you know, I had my rank list all done. And then I, you know, I was like, okay, finished, done. And then I went back and read all of those anecdotes and like anecdotes and thoughts. And I changed literally the top half of my list, except for my number one program, like, <laughs> um, because that's really how you'll feel every single day. Um, so I think that, you know, that was like, I, I'm glad that I did that. Yeah, that's definitely a really great tip. And I guess kind of just kind of summing up the experience of, of matching into urology, what would you guys say is the most important piece of advice you can give to match into Euro? Is it, um, you know, obviously I think we talked about what can get you in the door and that can be, you know, the board scores, um, you know, the good clinical grades doing well on the sub by, you know, it, do you feel like that initial part is the most important or is it really like the second half, the interview, the reaching out to programs, the connecting once you get into the door? Um, you know, what, what would you say is, is your biggest tip going forward in this process? I think it's what Caesar said earlier. It's it's being a good person, being yourself, um, being a good team player. You know, that's kind of all wrapped up into one, but um, that stands out when you're on a rotation in person. That's those that's somebody that residents want to work with. That translates to your letters. Um, that translates to how you are in an interview. Be be collegial. Be a teammate. Be be there to pick people up. And if, you know, you have to pick the people up around you just to elevate everybody. So, you know, you're not out for your, I mean, you know, I don't think you should be out for yourself. I never once had that attitude and they noticed that. Um, and I think that comes from my sports background, but that's something that translate translated, I think, to every part of my like application and how I am in person. Um, so I think just, you know, you know, just be a good person, be somebody people want to work with, like be yourself, obviously, but, but, um, you know, there's no need to, to step on other people or, um, you know, be selfish about it. You can, you can help everybody in the process. And I think that show, shines through in every aspect, if that's truly your, your goal. Yeah, I think kind of to echo what, what Hannah's saying, I mean, uh, I think that there, there's no one thing that I could necessarily point to that say, to say this is the thing to focus on. I think 
just like Hannah said, it has to, you have to be consistent, right? Um, you're not always going to be a hundred percent. You're not going to be the superstar, but you do have to be consistent. And I think that's, that's kind of what the process sort of tries to tease out. You know, do you, do you have a good board score? Is that consistent in your clerkships? You know, does that translate to doing well, having great summative comments there when you're on rotation, you know, are your letters of recommendation saying that you're, you know, consistently prepared, that you're consistently a good team player. And then that translates over to interviews too, where they're trying to see if all of that is true. And they're having conversations with you to try and tease out, you know, is this paper application lining up with this person that's sitting here in front of me? Um, so again, it's, it's a big summative process. You know, the biggest thing I could say is you'll have a silly answer for an interview question here and there. It won't make, it, it's not going to make or break you. So it's just all about being consistent and just think about it. Like if you're going to be working with people for the next five to six years, who would you want to work with? You know, and that's, and if you can think about that and kind of reflect some of those qualities as a third year, as a fourth year, and then, you know, forward in your career, you'll have a successful career and I think you'll match well. Um, so that's probably the simplest advice I could give. Awesome. Thanks guys. So in, in terms of kind of overall for any like pre-meds, current medical students, maybe not necessarily interested in urology, but just going through medical school or medical training right now, what would you give kind of overall uh, to, to those students or interested students maybe considering medicine as a, as a career? Um, anything that you would, you would give them uh, any pieces of advice and, and this can be based upon your stories or any instances of burnout, the support system you guys use any, any resource that you really liked, uh, you know, using throughout medical school, anything like that? Uh, definitely use sketchy. I knew people that didn't use that and, uh, definitely use it. Um, as far as a resource, I was like my all time faith, but, um, in general, just, I would say, don't give up. If this is really what you want, you can get it. If you try hard enough and enough times, I had to take the MCAT three times. I took, um, I had to do a post back. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of, like, I would say academic adversity that I had to work through in the interim before getting into medical school. Once I got to medical school, I had it all figured out. My grades were great, but I had, you know, I had to figure that component out. And if that's you, that's fine. But you know, what made up for that were my clinical skills. And, um, you know, I ended up being able to, to do really well, both, you know, in all my years of medical school, but because I got all that ironed out kind of before I got here. So, you know, if you're somebody with bad grades, don't, don't like be, you know, don't get down on yourself. You can make up for it by doing a post-bac or a master's or something. If this is truly the only career for you, you can attain it if you want. And then as far as burnout, I, I think I personally handled that. Um, I was somebody who was like pretty social and pretty, um, you know, going out to dinner and doing a lot of things like in the city. Um, and that's something that personally helped me to have, you know, something fun planned at the end of the week that I could look forward to got me through those long nights of studying and um, all the days of, of feeling some of the days of feeling bad, but I, I had the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel always. So I always had something planned that helped me, you know, stay in touch with your family Med school is hard, but very doable. You know, if this is what you want to do, you can do it. And yeah. Yeah, I think I'll echo a lot of what uh, Hannah said. You know, there's, you'll hear so many different stories about how people got into medicine. Um, again, I am separated by between, so, you know, I was done under Band of Champagne for three years and then, and I had to stop due to, you know, financial reasons because of my immigration status. I didn't return to finish my degree until four years later. 
Um, and then I took a year to study for the MCAT and then another year to apply for med school. So, you know, time again, to, sit, to echo what Hannah said, if you, if this is really something that you want to do, you know, just go after it. It's, it's the thing about it also is that all of these challenges, I'm sure both that, you know, the ones that you face, Hannah, and definitely the ones that I did, not only make you a better person, but there are also things you can talk about. When people say, you know, how do you handle adversity? You can look back at these key moments in your life and say, well, you know what, this is kind of what one of the things that I, that I did and, and how I address it. And that's how I'm going to be a better person and a better resident at your program because of it. In regards to, you know, medical school and doing well, best piece of advice I could say is be able to build good, healthy habits. It's never too late. You can build them in your third year if you kind of didn't do it first and second year. But I think the earliest that you can do it, the earlier that you can do it, the better. Um, and that that would mean, you know, getting good, healthy study habits, you know, whether that's Pomodoro, whether that's, you know, you know, doing Anki in the morning and the evening and the afternoon, whatever you want to do. Uh, but just kind of having a nice schedule. And, and what that helps is you schedule your study time, you can schedule your me time, you can schedule your family time or your friend time. And that's kind of what helped me kind of avoid burnout is designating time when I was med school Caesar versus when I'm dad Caesar versus when I'm, you know, partner Caesar. Um, and then being able to completely immerse myself into those things when it's time for that. You know, when it's time with my son, the med school is dead to me. I don't care about MRSA and vancomycin and any of that other stuff. Like it's just my son. And if you can kind of build those study habits early on, they translate extremely well into residency because that's everything you hear. They tell you, you know, when you're, when you're at the hospital, be here hundred percent. And then when you leave, if you're able to turn off your page or if you're able to turn off your phone, do that and just immerse yourself in that. So just good, you know, again, good, healthy habits, eat well, sleep well, whatever you can. As far as resources go, you know, again, UWorld, First Aid, Bethoma, whatever. I actually didn't, I actually didn't use First Aid, so I'd be lying. I hate it. I, I'm a very visual learner. I actually like Boards and Beyond, so plug for Boards and Beyond. And that's the, actually, I think that's my other tip for people. It's um, if at this stage of your educational career, you still haven't learned how to uh, best study, how, 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 how you're, what kind of learner you are, it's not too late. You know, I didn't know that. I didn't know what kind of learner I was. Um, and so I was kind of trying different things, especially first year. It's a little more forgiving try different ways of studying and finding what finally worked for me. But use your educational resources that you have at your medical schools. There's people that get pay lots of money to kind of help you figure out how to study. Um, and again, earlier on in your career, they're able to kind of figure out all of these things, the more successful you are, and just your life will be a lot easier. Uh, both both great uh, pieces of advice from from Hannah and Caesar guys. Thank you so much again. And um, you know, really quick, uh, what's the best way if someone wanted to reach out to talk to you guys, connect with you more, kind of like offline? Um, what's the best way to to reach you? Uh, you guys can email me if you want. Um, I'm very happy to help anybody who wants you know any advice at all. But my it's my first name Hannah H A N N A H dot slove s-l-o-v at gmail.com and yeah i mean i'm always looking to talk to anybody and be a resource for anybody who, who has any questions uh, I, i'm proud to say i changed my twitter handle so now it's caesar delgado md uh is my twitter handle that. uh so you can <laughs> yeah so you can reach me on twitter um uh if you 
you know, feel uncomfortable sending an email and you want to do something a little bit more informal, um, if you do want to send an email, uh, my personal email is uh, cdelgado, D-E-L-G-A-D-O, uh, 1026 at uh, iCloud.com. And again, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, anybody has. So just shoot the breeze if you want. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, congratulations again on, on matching and um, graduating medical school, Dr. Delgado, Dr. Slovacek. So um, that's so so awesome to say, you know, uh, you guys did it. We did it. So congratulations again. And really looking forward to see what you guys do uh, in residency. Hopefully we can still uh, connect with, uh, you know, research projects and just life and how everything's going. I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what you guys do. So thanks again for taking all the time here and, uh, you know, looking forward to talking with you next time. Yeah, thank you so much and congratulations to you, Dr. Druck. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relationship is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.